I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. Today, I sit down with Kevin Kelly, who is the person Tim Ferriss called the real most interesting man in the world. And we're going to explore and dive deep into Kevin's mind. So Kevin co-founded Wired Magazine back in 1993, but that's not all he's done. Far from it. He also co-founded the All Species Foundation, which is a nonprofit aimed at cataloging and identifying every living species on Earth. You can see just how curious he is, even just from the different things he's been involved with. He also serves on the board of the Long Now Foundation, which is a nonprofit dedicated to fostering long-term responsibility as an antidote to the extremely short-term horizon of most contemporary organizations. If that was enough, he's written multiple best-selling books, has been an artist, a photographer, and has been sharing his most insightful wisdom and cool find for years. What this conversation explores is really going against the grain, which is something Kevin's done continually throughout his entire life, and not being afraid of failure, but more important than not only being afraid of failure, but Kevin understands failure is the only path to progress, and that's one of the key things that we end up exploring in this conversation. We also talk about what are the technological issues we need to be thinking about moving forward. So if you want to dive deep into one of the truly interesting minds of today, you're going to love this conversation with Kevin Kelly. This podcast is all about uncovering the lessons and wisdom high performers are using to better their life, and one of the most important elements of high performance is your sleep. That's why I'm thrilled to tell you about 8Sleep. 8Sleep is revolutionizing what a great night of sleep means. The Pod Pro by 8Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market, and what it does is the Pod Pro has dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking so you know the exact amount and quality of the sleep you're getting. It comes in the form of both a mattress or a cover you can put on your existing mattress. Get the pod and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees for those people who like a nice chilly room or mattress and as hot as 110 degrees. I'm one of the fans of the cooler mattress, so this is perfect for me. The temperature of the Pod Pro will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment for you. So what's the result of all this? Eight sleep users fall asleep 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get an overall more restful night of sleep. The Pod Pro by Eight Sleep is so popular as garnered the attention from CEOs, pro athletes, and overall high performers like yourself. Go to eightsleep.com forward slash Sean to check out the Pod Pro and save $150 at checkoff. That's 8sleep.com forward slash Sean. Kevin, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so glad that um, you've invited me and I'm looking forward to our conversation. So am I. So, so you're sitting in front of a lot of books. I know you've read thousands and thousands. I'm wondering for you though, is there a book that doesn't sit on your shelf because it doesn't exist yet? What, what book should be written? Yes. Um, 
there is not a book about the history of the scientific method. Of all the inventions that we've invented, the most important invention is the invention of the scientific method. And there's not a book about that invention. In fact, all the prosperity that we have witnessed in the last two or 300 years, including the, our longevity that we have, this special miracle that we're kind of, that I'm alive basically at my age, um, is all due to the scientific method and there's really not a good biography about that. I mean, you're a really curious person. Why do you think that is? Um, I just, I think that people have not really appreciated one, the invention or two, the fact that it took 300 years to invent that. It's not a single invention. It's a series of inventions that accumulate over time to just give you one example. When the average informed educated person thinks about the sign of a method, they might, Think about the double-blind experiment, which is this idea that, particularly in health, that when you're doing an experiment, not only should the subject not know which pill is the pill being tested, but the experimenter should also not know because that biases your interpretation of the results. So that's so if neither the patient nor the doctor knows what is in the pills that's called a double blind experiment that was only invented in the 1950s. We think of it as sort of standard practice, but it's actually a very recent invention. And so um, I think people don't really appreciate how much of a work in progress the scientific method is that we're still basically inventing it. Um, One of the recent inventions in that is this idea that you need to publish your negative results. That when something doesn't work, you should also publish that because that's valuable. It also increases the honesty and um, someone else doesn't have to repeat the experiment uh, that you did. And so in the past, that was very difficult to do, to publish all the things that didn't work. Um, but now with the internet where publishing is easier, um, that's now becoming more standard where they're actually requiring that you post your experiment before you do it and that you post the results of whatever happens. Hmm. You mentioned that, that being a work in progress. Uh, one of the things I think is just so important is the ability to learn. You're someone who's learned so much. I'm wondering what that process of learning new skills new ideas, what does that look like for you? Is that a constant um, work in progress or is that something you've kind of figured out? No, I, I, it is a work in progress. And one of the, um, you were starting about what we don't know or what hasn't been written. One of the other things that has not been written um, is a really good approach about how to learn how you, me, individually learn. So so what I would like to know is how to optimize my own learning for all the different ways there are to learn or things to learn, language or skill, manual skill, or an intellectual skill. And 
you would think that that's what we would teach kids in school, that when you graduated from high school, that you would know how to optimize your own learning. Um, but that's not what we do. And that's, so I don't even know how I learn best. Even after, you know, 70 years of learning, I don't know that. I, I have never gone through that rigorous process of being tested and training to figure out how I learn best. So I'm still stumbling around trying to figure out, well, what's the best way for me to learn this new skill or this new approach or this new fact? And um, boy, I wish I knew that when I was 17. And so um, that's something else that I would like to see, would hope to see someday is someone saying, well, here's Here's what you have to do. Here's the course. Here's the, the program. You go through that program, and the thing that you'll come out with is you'll know exactly how you need to learn. You need to know how, how much sleep you need in between the reps. You need to, here's how much, here's what that, that spacing is for the refreshing course or whatever it is. Here's what it is. And so, okay, great, good, because now I can do it more methodical when I learn something, when I'm trying to learn something new. You mentioned you wish you had known that when you were 17. Uh, I think some of our, our operating mindsets are, are so crucial. One of your mindsets, I would love to know if you could pass that on to, to any young person starting out. Is there a mindset that you just think is so vital to, to your overall life you'd love passing that on? Yeah, it's become a little bit of a cliche. It wasn't when I was growing up, but it is now, which is that you um, you fail forward. You, you, you That you um, don't seek failure, but that you embrace failing things not working as a way of moving forward. And um, I think that's a very instrumental thing to, to, to learn is that um, you want to try things and that there is a correlation between quantity and quality when it comes to innovation and making new things and getting better that you literally have to try, do enough. So the, again, the now cliche, the 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. And the, the thing about deliberate practice is it's not 10,000 hours of practice. It's 10,000 hours of deliberate practice and deliberate practice is that where you practice to the point of failure. Okay. So, so you are a kayaker and you're learning kayaking and you're going to the point where you actually fail. You, you make a mistake. You, 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 trip and that deliberate practice where you're kind of going to the edge to the edge of failure is the way forward and so um so that's something that um transfers into whatever domain you are whether it's music or sports or inventing things um you're gonna try things um, with the idea that they probably aren't going to work out in the beginning um, and that the, the failures that you have are opportunities to kind of get better. And so um, uh, it's always going to be a balance because if you just completely fail all the time, it's no fun and um, it may be a sign that you should try something different. So, 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 there, so, so it's an art of 
having enough successes with your failures to, to keep going. And so, um, so, so the formula is not really kind of a, a formula that um, you can kind of walk into and just do blindly. It still requires part of the art of living of deciding, okay, is, is, is there enough successes to suggest that I should keep going forward? Yeah. Well, so much of us always want those black and white answers, right? Like the perfectly defined and, and life is operating and working in gray and, and getting comfortable with, with that gray right. element is so important. Kevin, you, you were mentioning like your learning process is still a work in progress. And, and so I'm wondering when you um, experience a failure, are there things that you do even just to be able to analyze, learn from so that you can use those insights into that next experiment and next trial? Yeah, I think one of the things that that failure um, presses on you is this question of why am I doing this? And um, part, I think, of trying to be successful and have a, having a successful life is is that you you're always coming back to your inner core and your inner motivations about why are you doing this? What are you looking for? What does success look like? And um, so, so I, I find myself constantly asking, well, why am I doing this and trying to examine the, the motivations and what I'm hoping to get out of, out of things. And um, uh, it's very clear from the studies that the more inner directed, the, the more those motivations are something that you're doing for yourself, the more likely that you are to succeed in a certain broad sense, than if you're trying to please others in some ways, that if you're looking for approval, um, some part of that is just a natural human state. We want approval from others. We need a certain amount of it. But but the the bulk of what you're going for has to be coming from your own drive. And um, so 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 when things fail, I'm I'm asking, okay, well. Um, why am I bothering with this? What am I trying to do? Um, what do I find valuable? If, if it's something just practical, is it something that is much more spiritual in that sense? Is it something that um, uh, maybe isn't so pretty in terms of just, I want approval from others. And so um, examining when things don't work and I am, looking at the prospect of trying to do it again, I am reduced to thinking about my motivations and why am I doing things? And I think that um, the more aware we are of ourselves, um, the better. And and, and so that process of the self-examined life of really kind of being honest with yourself and why you are doing things. um, I think that's a very powerful place to be and uh, a skill to have basically. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I, I think about that inner drive kind of that, that pull versus push, right? Like, are you being pushed by others or do you have that internal drive, that pull it? I, I all the occasionally jump on with, with the listener of the show. This happened the other day. Um, and just talking about questions they have and a large thing theme that comes up again and again is 
breaking free of the shackles essentially of their parents, other people, and and just living their own life. And this is something I really admire you doing and going against the grain. You have this great line. You were mentioning success a minute ago, and your line is, finding me is my measure of success. I would love for you to unpack this because I think this is just such a liberating line. Yeah. um, One of the things that took me a long time to kind of realize is that – the course of our life over time is, is is never a straight line and you can take the most successful person and read and do read their biography. And you'll see that that path to where they are is just full of detours, backtracks, um, side ventures and everything. It's, it's the always the opposite of some direct path. And, um, uh, very few of them, particularly the, the the sort of the greater success they have or the greater the reputation they have, um, ever kind of imagined that that the, the path of, of where they want to get. Occasionally, someone will come up and say, "Yeah, I want to be a world chess champion from the day I was twelve, and they just went that way. But that is very, very, very rare. Most people don't. Um, again, the great ones, meaning the greats. The reason why they are great is because there's nobody else like them. Okay, so 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 I've really kind of honed on to this phrase: um, "Don't be the best; be the only." Okay, you want to be the only one doing something. Okay, and so the people that we most sort of have the highest reputations are are those that sort of like there's nobody else like them. There's nothing even remotely uh, like them and they're not. And so they're in their own movie. And a lot of people set out trying to be in someone else's movie. They want to be LeBron James. They want to be Steve jobs. They want to be, um, you know, Albert Einstein, whatever it is. And they are kind of like, they're trying to form or conform themselves to this, this, this image, this role. And in that way lies failure. Um, what you want to kind of figure out is about you, about yourself. What is that unique set of talents that you have? And because when you're there, it's easier to be successful because you're not competing against anybody. It's like, you know, everyone else is doing their thing. And so you don't have to compete anymore. Um, if you can really find that, but finding that is so hard, first of all, because all the images of success we have are other people. So what do, what, what does my success look like? And this is where this can comes back to the knowing yourself, finding out what it is that you can do better or, or even only from most people will require all your life to figure out. In fact, that's the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is to figure out what the purpose of your life is. And so that will, and it will take all your life to kind of figure it out. You're, and that's why the great artists are kind of constantly reinventing themselves because they're still figuring out what it is that they're about. And so it's a never ending process, but, but trying to get away from your ideas, your initial ideas of success of what your parents or your friends or the movies want to tell you, success looks like, um, that's a very difficult lifelong project of trying to figure out 
well, what is it that I can do um, that's natural for me? Natural in the sense that it, it rests on the things that I actually am naturally made up to do. And, and then how can I get those experiences that will bring and enhance and develop those skills until I get to a point where I am basically my own thing. I have my own title. I have, I am, I have, I have invented my own niche, my own occupation, my own thing. And so um, again, some people are more blessed and they can get to that earlier. Um, other people it will take a longer time, but I think if you're on that path, um, you always will be better than if you aren't. And so, um, so that's sort of what the, what the assignment is, is to, and that's why you want to have to try a lot of stuff, have failures, because you are really, what you're trying to see is like, well, is there anything in me that's, that, that's inclined or that shows that I um, can do this? And, 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 this is a long answer, but no, let me just great. say one other part of this. And that is, is that um, I've just lost my train of thought, but I'll, I'll get back to it. So, 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 um, so, so this, this thing of trying to, to, to find where you are is, um, is, is a project that I think um, will take most of your lives to, to figure out. And, and, and when you get there, um, the, the, the advantage is, is that, um, you don't have to really compete with, with other people. It's, you know, you, you are the only, and so it's a, it's, it's a natural state. And, and one of the things I do, um, to help me get there and to kind of be sure is I like to share what I'm doing, my ideas as much as possible. And um, a lot of people find it very difficult because they, they're afraid they're going to give their ideas away. Someone's going to steal it and do what they're going to do. And when you're young, yeah, I understand that. But in fact, you should be trying to give away your ideas because if you have an idea that someone else can steal, that means that it's not, you're not the only. So, you will kind of want to do something where uh, if people that, that, that nobody else can steal, it's just like a, a very good place to be, particularly when you're young is to be working somewhere where there's not even a name for what it is that you do. There's just no title. There's no occupation. It's, it's, it takes a long time to kind of explain to someone what you're even up to that for me is is a really good place it's like yeah if you tell somebody yeah, i'm doing crypto it's like what? no no but if you're doing something it's like well what i'm doing is really hard to explain it's like i didn't know i mean it's like this weird thing where maybe i'm using blockchain but it's kind of like i'm making an art out of it whatever it is and so um that is a sign that you're kind of on the right path if you are headed for a place where there's not even a name for what it is that you're doing. 
I love this. Your, uh, your, your talk there around trying multiple things, it makes me think of this research paper. I'm pretty sure it was just published in Nature, and it's around hot streaks in, in different domains, both science, arts. Um, and, and what they found out, obviously, is that the people who experienced these, these breakout successes, these hot streaks, mm-hmm. they were dabbling around a lot and actually took them longer to find their thing they were going to have this breakout mm-hmm. success in. I, I'm wondering for you, you mentioned like when, when you finally find that thing that makes you so unique. For you, is that is that more of a defined like clarity breakthrough, like the the light comes out moment, or is it more just fluid, where like you're comfortable in that element and it continues to evolve? Um, yeah, there's not really epiphany <laughs> aha moment. It, it's much more of a for me. I've been a very slow incremental um, idea, and again, I. I did not even become aware of of this idea of trying to be the only until later in my life. And I wish I had kind of been aware of it earlier. I was doing it without even knowing that I was doing it. But I think it's helpful if you know that you're doing it. And um, uh, again, it's, and I'm not done. I mean, that's what I'm saying is, is that I'm still, trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up, you know, it's, it's, um, where do I go from here? What, what is that thing that I should be doing? And I think the answer is, is I should be doing something that nobody else is doing. And then, so then you say, well, you know, what is it that one I'm able to do and two that I'm would enjoy doing and three that is meaningful to others in terms of, you know, being, of, of value and um, and that nobody else can do. And so that's, again, that's, that, that requires a lot of self-knowledge there. there. There's a lot that you have to kind of figure out about yourself. And so um, this business, the business of knowing yourself and being honest with yourself. And as Richard Feynman, the great scientist says, is that we're easy to fool, you know, and, and the, the easiest person to fool is ourselves. And so um, this is what science is sort of a, is a method to kind of um, not fool ourselves. And that's good in some domains, but it's very hard in the other, this other domain that we're talking about is to not fool ourselves, to be, to, to really be aware of um, ourselves. So I think whatever mechanisms we have from therapy to friends, to paying attention to feedback all those things are part of this process of trying to figure out who we are, what we do, you know, why we're here. And so, so, so it's, it's the entire bundle. It's not just a, a program. I mean, again, it, it goes to um, when, you, when you complete something, what is the feedback? Are you really listening? Are you... Um, uh, you know, um, are you receptive? Are you open to what the universe is trying to tell you about that? And so that that's a large part of how we get better and how we learn and how we find meaning. Yeah. It's funny when you open your ears and your eyes, uh, the universe will tell you a lot, uh, if you're willing to, to listen to it. Uh, right. y- you mentioned just self-knowledge is, I mean, it's a constant thing uh, for you. Have there been foundational moments, experiences, things that really have fundamentally changed your ability to understand yourself? Um, yes. And, 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 and I would say one of them is that um, 
psychedelics, I, which I recommend. And um, I think we're, as a culture, having a kind of a little finally coming kind of a pivot in the culture at large about its um, approach to, to psychedelics. Um, I didn't do any recreational psychedelics at all as a young person, except I had um, psychedelics experiences at the dentist's office with nitric oxide and had out-of-the-body experiences. But um, later on, when I was 50, I took my first LSD. And I think... Um, I think there is tremendous value in the general, um, what we might call, um, uh, I'm sure there's a, a, a term for it, but this idea of kind of um, seeker experiences where you are being provoked either through fasting, through prayer, through um, psychedelics, through other methods of taking yourselves out of your ego in some capacity that for me, that was something that was very revelatory and very, very strong. And, um, you know, near death experiences and others where you, whether, whether I was able to take a, uh, get a different view of myself and um, understand the kind of, what's the word I want? Um, treat blessing how fortunate we are to have this bodily experience and to be here now and so um so 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 in short for me that kind of a spiritual experience was very very important and um as we learn now that we're now uh, we collectively are, are allowed to experiment again and do actual scientific experiments with psychedelics which is where we're about right now. We can finally research these legally. We'll we'll accumulate in the next couple of decades a lot more information about how to do this well, how to basically go on a trip um, the best way. And and, um, there are different chemicals and different procedures and different guidelines, et cetera, that are all required that will yield um, an experience that I think is for most people going to be um, a good way again to kickstart some self-knowledge. I know you tend to be at the forefront of usually technologies, but these types of things, concepts, I'm wondering for you, where are your spidey sense going, going off, just thinking about what that could look like in the future? I mean, the psychedelics? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, it's a really good, really good question, which I haven't really spent much time thinking about, but I think, um, First of all, um, what we'll have is we'll have a little bit more of a of a map of a landscape, <clears throat> and um, w- one of the things that's already kind of emerging is that there is it could almost be like a a sequence, or uh, maybe not even a linear sequence, but that there there is a um, a spectrum, a palette of experiences with different chemicals producing different kinds of things. And once the kind of a ma- there's a map of that, then what we'll be able to do is kind of, you know, evaluate someone and begin to craft uh, an experience for them 
based on their own their own chemistry and their own experiences, what they might need. It's kind of like, you know, like a doctor going to and evaluating your, you know, your health and saying, well, you know, from what I know in here, you should do this. Or, or like if you're going to for um, a, a personal trainer. And so they'll have personal trainers in this realm that will kind of evaluate you and say, well, here's what I think you should try this here. And then we'll go here and whatever. Uh, depending on what happens, and so there'll be there'll be there'll be a program. So there'll be there'll be a, a, a program saying, "Here's what we do with this technology," and um, they'll be a little bit more trying to capture some of the results scientifically, so that that would be benefit others um, over time. And so that it becomes becomes like other kinds of like coaching and and performance. Um, uh, like say training, personal trainer. And so um, I think that model will, will arise and already the people doing it have guides and people who are almost like therapists or almost like coaches who go through you and debrief and talk about it and kind of figure out what's next. And those that are best and what we're seeing is not just like one, it's a single molecule, it's a psilocybin guide. No, no, no. It's 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 somebody who is familiar with all these drugs, all these technologies, and can craft something for for you, in a sense, like a personal trainer. A really good one would be familiar with all the different kinds of exercise programs and regimes, and would say, for you, this is what we're going to kind of craft. It's very interesting. I feel like one of the, the reoccurring themes you just mentioned, having the maps for this, and we need to make sure that, that our maps don't throw us off. And you were even mentioned the ego earlier and breaking away from the grain. I think about this um, from, from the legendary Lao Tzu, to, to obtain knowledge, learn something every day, to obtain wisdom, remove something every day. I'm wondering for you, what have you removed throughout the years where you say, you know what? Removed? Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. That's a good question. Remove. Well, I have to be careful how, how I say this, but fairly early on in my journey, I removed the concern about money before I had any real money. I kind of, it's kind of a weird thing, but I kind of pretended I was a billionaire when I had no money. And so the, 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 the meaning that um, I wasn't interested in accumulating money and I had discovered that money would come, sufficient money would come to do the things I needed to do. And so, um, and the other thing was, was that when you go through a list of, of things that you want to do and what it actually is preventing them from doing it, people will often say that money is there, but it turns out that that's not usually the case. We know for a fact that most breakthrough ideas and stuff come always where there's very little money, that money will often prevent things from happening. Meaning, okay, that 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 that, that um, all this great ideas have come about because the person, the group doing it, didn't have resources, so they had to invent ways to do things. Uh, 
because if the if you could if you could invent things simply with money, then all the rich corporations would just own all the new ideas. But um, their success actually imprisons them because they would attempt to buy solutions. And so, so, so one of the things I learned early on was that to kind of ignore, in a certain sense, to ignore the money question, to behave as if money was not an issue. And when obviously money matters, but you can kind of remove it from the equation. Um, and if you do remove it, you kind of, it's easier to kind of get to that place of the only. So, 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 so I, I may be waving my hands a lot, but, 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 but that's what I would say is, is kind of removing the issue of money was something that I learned um, to do. And um, that's been hugely beneficial. No, that's a great piece of advice. I, I love finding paradoxes in life. I, th I think they're so important to, to study and understand. And you bring up a great one, right? Like the, the success of these companies, the reason they got successful, they're handcuffed by now. And that's the reason right. these young startup companies can, can even exist in this world and create these right. breakthroughs. W one of the things that, that I know you, you've talked about, and I just would love to explore it a bit further with you currently, um, is around exploring like your curiosities, but then also allowing slack in your system because some of these things can't come out unless you have some slack. I'm, I'm just wondering your, your current day thinking around developing slack in everyone's own system um, to allow time to explore curiosity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what you're suggesting, I mean, I've been a verbal advocate for slack, that slack is this necessary thing for creativity. And um, so slack and time off is... Um, People talk about your kind of work ethic, but I think your rest ethic is actually just as important. So um, we need to have sabbaticals and Sabbaths and uh, vacations and goof off time and time where we play and serious play and um, wasting time. I'm, I, I think there's an overemphasis in certain areas on efficiency and productivity. So there's all the productivity gurus, which is good to a certain extent, but I think you can, I think you can be misdirected in your um, uh, approach for efficiency and productivity. If you ignore the fact that we need um, good, significant lengths of time where we are not trying to be productive, where we are in a different mode. And so um, that creative mode requires wastage and requires inefficiency. The inefficiency of permitting yourself to have to redo things over, uh, permitting yourself to make a mistake, um, you know, most of the things that we are really uh, enamored of and make the most importance in our culture, like science and art, are inherently inefficient. Okay, I mean, if you're a hundred percent efficient scientist, you're learning nothing. You're not making any mistakes, and so, and so, and so, 
we have to honor this 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 part of our process where it's inefficient and unproductive in that sense because it's it's aiming for something different and so um you know there there's there generally kind of for me there's two there's two general modes in creating and making things and like in writing where you are writing you don't want the efficiency expert over your shoulder when you first start writing you don't want that editor you want to separate the editor and the writer and you need both of them i'm a born editor i think editors are always right but you don't need them around when you're first making that first draft you want to be completely uh inefficient in that process you're going to write stuff that you're going to throw away you're going to um write stupid stuff. It's going to be crap. Um, you don't care in the beginning. And the same thing with innovation or art or science. You're, 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 you have to expect that you're going to just have to be redoing stuff. Or even when you're making things, I've, I've discovered this thing now where, where I make versions of prototype things that I just know that I'm not going to use. That seems inefficient, but it's actually the best thing to do. And so um, uh, this thing of like doing nothing, uh, horsing around, wasting time with a video game, I think are essential. I, I, I think that's a, a large part and need to be protected often at times um, where you um, decide that, you know, for a day, you will not be productive. You'll do other things that you just simply either enjoy or maybe you don't even know why you do them. And so um, I, I, I think it's important among some people who have a tendency to kind of want to um, be efficient and, and, and productive all, all the day of all the hours of their life that, that um, I think that they would be better protecting some part of that day for something that is inefficient. Hmm. Kevin, how do you think about then when, when you're dabbling in things, what's going to capture and sustain your attention more, right? Like when you're working on some of these longer and bigger projects, what, what is that internal, I don't know, just sense, spidey sense you feel where, where you decide to take those on? Yeah. Um, I think I know what you're asking. Um, So sometimes longer projects don't start off that way intentionally. They start off as something small that hmm. is continued because it was pleasurable or, or seemed to be successful to others. Other, other ones kind of require envisioning them in their finished state before you, before you start. And so they are kind of have much more of a sense of intentional long-term project. Um, there have been intentional long-term projects that didn't turn out to be very long that were abandoned. <laughs> so, so um, I think for me, it's been a mixture of different kinds of, of things. Some, as I said, were envisioned from the beginning and others emerged over time. Um, that's just been my experience. 
that, that makes me think of uh, a legendary Claude Shannon line. We know the past, but cannot control it. We control the future, but cannot know it. And so, and so maybe I'm looking for one of those like black and white answers here. And you're like, no, Sean, that, that's not how this works. Uh, that's what well, I'm not saying. I'm just saying, yes, this is how it works for me. Yeah, yeah. I am not a guru and I haven't done the science of studying how this works in other people's lives. Um, that I hope that's another thing that doesn't exist of, you know, this, this emerging field of um, the study of creativity and innovation. I think even with the, the kind of state of science we have right now, we, there's still so much more that we could be doing in terms of being able to, um, to advise people and extract, you know, what, what happens to people in general. But, but I think, what it is is, you know, just this your podcast is sort of an evidence of that is that we kind of recognize now that this is something that we should know more about. Speaking of, of things we, we should know more about, one of the things for the past few months I've been really intrigued by, I know this is something uh, that we face, you're really intrigued by as well. That's our increasing standards and decreasing population. And I'm just yeah. wondering how you're thinking about that. And what are some of the, the second and third order consequences you're expecting us to experience because of that? That means our overall decline in population, but our, our standards continue to uh, increase and we continue to spend for those, like a population increasing when it's not. Yeah, so to just to set the scene, um, worldwide there is a drop in fertility rate, um, meaning the... Um, number of kids that the on that women have on average um it's been declining in every country and um some countries faster than others and surprisingly some of the fastest dropping countries are countries like mexico and in the developing world and china among them and india too and some of those countries have already gone below replacement level, meaning that on average, um, women are not having enough children to even replace the current population. And some of those places are famously Japan, but also Italy and, and Europe. Um, and most of the countries are headed in terms of year by year drop to under replacement level very, very quickly. Because of the general way of demographic transitions. It takes 25 years or whatever on average for a person born today to reproduce or not. Um, there is a huge amount of inertia in this. And so it will take almost a generation or two of these processes to actually reduce the absolute numbers of people on the planet. So even though the replacement level can be reached or the under-replacement level can be reached um, soon, the actual numbers of people on the planet will, um, it, 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 there's a delay. And so, but with the, what everything we know, because it takes a long time, we can look at the trends right now and, set and forecast that we're headed to a world where on average, the global population does not reproduce. And so every year there's fewer people on the planet. That will happen maybe around 2070 or something. But before then, there will be countries that will reach this earlier. And so those countries are lose population like Japan, which is 
right now has fewer people on the country every year. And so um, uh, a lot of the issues we have with immigration right now are going to go away uh, because countries, including the U.S., will be looking for people to come to their country to, to work because um, that is the easiest route to prosperity that we have known. So, so throughout history, every period of rising living standards has been driven by rising population. Um, we tend to think of rising populations as problematic, but in, in some ways it is and for the environment, but it's also the, has been the engine of our prosperity in, in cities. So cities grow, and as they grow, they get more prosperous. Can we make a civilization, can we make cities that will continue to grow in betterment, in other words, they get better with fewer people each year? I think we might be able to do it, but we don't know how to do it. Don't know how, meaning we don't have those policies in place. It may require things like UBI, like having a minimum amount of of, um, of income to um, pay everybody. I mean, there might be other means of taxation and uh, wealth distribution. The, the, there are probably all kinds of things we need to figure out with our economy to figure out how we can rise living standards, raise living standards while there's fewer people. And a lot of it will have to do with our, what we end up doing with AIs and robots. And so, so it's an unknown, it's, it's a huge unknown. Um, I think that we can figure it out, but, um, and I think we're at the beginning of that right now. We're, we're just sort of starting to, dip our toes into some of the ramifications we have of automation and AI and people are not having jobs. So what do they do? And so, um, uh, so it's a very, very unclear area. I would say that if you're young and ambitious and interested in economics, this is where I would look to the future or saying, thinking about how you have um, increasing prosperity with decreasing population um, is going to be an active area of research in the coming decades. Is there any point in history, and this could just be a small portion of the globe, that actually that's the case for, and we can look through history to, to help understand the future a bit better? There was a period in the Black Plague where um, there was decreasing population. So we've had several examples of decreasing population. And... There are, different, there are different versions of that. People are still trying to figure that out. There are some who claim that, in fact, there was um, rising wealth after the plague. There were labor shortages suddenly, so the poor and middle class suddenly revolted forward. Some of the people who were most uh, wiped out and depaupered were the landowners, then suddenly there were no peasants to work. So they were kind of like, they were underwater in that sense. They actually 
were doing really poorly and they actually had high levels of death in them because most of the medical practices at that time tended to kill people rather than um, heal them. So, so there was a moment in, during the, the plague years when um, there might have been for certain areas an increase in prosperity for some of the people. Um, I don't think that's a model that we want to adopt, but um, to answer your question, that's one thing, but, but in general, no, we, we um, in more modern history, we don't have um, examples of that. You know, we have city states like Singapore, which are very limited. Um, but even there, there's been a growth in population. So um, we don't have very good modern standards. Well, Kevin, I wish we had 10 hours that, that we could just go back and forth and explore this this all together. I know you're optimistic about it. I have to link up. You, you had a recent piece, I think you released it in August, around why, why the case for optimism right now, which I loved. Uh, I just thought that was exceptional and should be read by people. Um, one of the things that, that you've brought up uh, again and again is just the, the number of things that capture your attention, right? Like we, we need these curiosities. I'm wondering for you, what has most been capturing your attention recently and has been the thing you've been putting your time into? Um, I probably have mentioned it several times, but I'm very interested in AI, artificial intelligence, and artificial intelligences, as I would say, plural, um, trying to figure out, trying to, to place that, trying to, to see where, where this thing wants to to be in the future, because I think it is on the par of fire, writing, language, let alone, um, you know, electricity in terms of its impact on our lives. And um, it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to play out for, for, for centuries. Um, and I think it won't play out the way Hollywood thinks it's going to play out in terms of the Terminator coming, killing us in our sleep. I, I, I you know, that, 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 that's, that's a possibility. It's, you know, greater than zero, but it's, it's highly unlikely. So we need to have other scenarios about what this world of ubiquitous AIs look like. And so um, I'm spending time trying to live with the AIs, you know, trying to do stuff, co-creating with them. Um, trying to understand exactly um, how they're going to fit into our lives. Um, so, so, so um, I'm not going to be able to figure out in terms of there's no ultimate figuring out. It's, it's, it's going to take several centuries for us to invent them while we invent, reinvent ourselves. And, um, and, and so, so uh, one of the things I have learned is, is that, and there's a disease that called thinkism, which is this idea that we can kind of uh, that we can solve problems simply by thinking about them. It's very appealing to middle-aged guys like myself who like to spend time <laughs> thinking. But um, even if we had a super AI genius guy like AI who could think a million times better than we could think that thing could not figure out how to cure cancer by thinking about it. We just need to have to do experiments. We don't even know enough. We have to, you could, 
it might be able to work with us in doing experiments to figure out something, but, but, but the world is too complex to be able to figure out something just from the data that we have. So we have to interact with the world in order to think about it. It's thinking, we, we can't just think remotely. We have to actually do experiments. We actually have to live it. We actually have to try things. We, 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 we have to, um, uh, these very complex systems, that's one of the things that took away with the complex systems theory, is that often the shortest route to it is, is, is running the program. You can't, you can simulate certain things. Well, all simulations leave out things. That's why they run faster. If you include everything that you care about, then the fastest simulation of it is the thing itself. It has to run out. And so... There is this sense in which um, there's lots of things that we want to know about that we can only figure out by doing and trying. So, so this is my thing about embracing technology. We want to embrace it because the only way that we can steer something is by engaging with it. We Sure, we want to think about it as much as we can. We want to anticipate stuff. But those are going to be very, very limited. We actually have to steer things by engaging with them by using them, by interacting with them. And in that process, then we can kind of figure out what we think about it. So I think our long-term future is not something that we can fully imagine right now, but that is something that we can only arrive to by engaging with it in 100% engagement. So that's why I like to embrace new technologies because that's how we get to steer them. The conversation comes full circle there. Uh, I, I know we, we've got to wrap this up here in a minute. Uh, just just a few quick hits, um, and then we're going to link the listeners up with everything that you're doing. Uh, I'm wondering for you, has there been a moment over the past few years where you've just been raptured um, in awe of something? Mm. Yeah, I going back to the AIs, I was completely tickled and delighted and astounded by the uh, GPT-3 who was generating the human faces that did not exist. So if you haven't seen this Google, um, these faces don't exist. And what you'll see is mile after mile of photographs taken in all different kinds of settings of people who do not exist. The, the detail, the, the specific um, character, I mean, everything about it is looks like they just took a snapshot somewhere, but it was completely invented, wholly out of nothing. Out of, I mean, it was like there was nothing that's all derivative about it um, by this AI that's basically making up human faces that are photographs. And it's like, wow, that is, that's a, that's a, that is unbelievable. That is amazing. That is, there's something powerful going on here. And um, that to me is a kind of, was kind of a sign of what we're dealing with. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure we have that linked up. You mentioned some of these legendary people, some of these all-time greats. I'm wondering for you, who are you most admirable of? Of, of everyone throughout history. And it's just like, wow, this person was a true game changer. Jesus. Yeah. And, and maybe. Um, 
who else? Uh, you know, I, I, I have, I have fans, um, that, um, uh, a person that I admire who's living that I know is Stuart Brand, um, who I've learned a lot from. And, um, the more I know him, the more I admire him. Um, and that's sort of the, my, my recipe is, you know, there's a lot of people I admire that the more I find out, the less I admire them. But, um, uh, he's someone who I admire more and more. And so he's been a huge influence on my life. Would one of those two people be the answer to, if you could sit down and have a long form conversation like this with anyone dead or alive, would it be Jesus or brand? Or do you have a third you want to throw in there? A third, um, Um, boy, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I find Newton, I think Newton a very curious person because not only was he sort of one of the inventors of science, but he was like an occultist. He was like, a he had these other really weird beliefs yeah. that, um, are strange. And I often, and, and that by the way, is often a pattern is that if you look at some of the great scientists, they're often absolutely right about many things and absolutely wrong about other things. And, um, but anyway, Newton was interesting enough to me that I thought it would be a great conversation. Well, well you're one of those very interesting people to me. Uh, unfortunately, an hour uh, just doesn't even begin to crack the surface on what I would love to dive deep on with you. Uh, I know you have a lot of interesting projects um, that you work on. What, what and where can we link the listeners up with you just to make sure they can, they can stay in touch with you and capture anything that you're putting out? Um, yeah, I have... Um, Website, which is just my initials, so it's kk.org, where you can find most anything I'm interested in these days. Um, I do um, have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter that goes out. It's called Recommendo. And every week, um, my, my, my two partners, we give six very, very real brief uh, recommendations of good stuff, which could be almost anything that we find good. Um, from apps to destinations to people to follow, to stuff to watch, tools to get. Um, so that's Recommendo, and um, which is a free newsletter. Sign up. And uh, beyond that, um, this year I've decided to make art every day. So I'm making a daily art piece, which I've been posting on the different um, platforms. So um, that's been amusing to me. And I'm the the, the key for me was to publish it, share it, no matter whether it's good or bad. That's part of the thing about making stuff is that um, you want to keep doing it even if it's not good and you don't want to judge in the creation. You can go on later on and you can then um, make it better and evaluate it. But in the creative process, you want to just even make bad art. That's You're kind of actually trying to make bad art because in that bad art, you can get to the good art. So it takes a lot of bad art to make some good art. And so I'm making a lot of bad art. That's fantastic. Well, Kevin, as we close this out, I, I just have to say thank you um, for the curiosity that you've sparked in me, the, the new ways of viewing the world and the things that that you've shared that I've become interested in. And so Kevin Kelly, I can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There and sparking the curiosity. It's been fun. I enjoyed the ride. Thanks for having me. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. 
If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.